0: Chapter 8 of the Guns of Shiloh. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Guns of Shiloh by Joseph A. Altscheller. Chapter 8 A Meeting at Night. Dick heard above the thundering hoofbeats only a single shout, and then as he glanced backward, the house was lost in the moonlight when he secured his own horse he had noticed that all the empty stalls were now filled no doubt by the horses of the young leffingwells and Kerrins. but he was secure in his confidence that none could overtake the one he rode he felt of that inside pocket of his vest the precious dispatch was there tightly pinned into its hidden refuge and as for himself refreshed warm and strong after food rest and sleep he felt equal to any emergency he had everything with him the stout saddlebags were lying across the saddle he had thrust the holster of pistols into them but he took it out now and hung it in its own place also across the saddle although he was quite sure there would be no pursuit the elder leffingwells would certainly keep their sons from joining it He sent his great horse straight ahead at a good pace for a long time, the road being fairly good. His excitement and rapid motion kept him from noticing at first the great bitterness of the cold. When he had gone five or six miles, he drew his horse down to a walk. Then feeling the intensity of the cold, as the mercury was far below zero, he dismounted, looped the reins over his arms, and walked a while. For further precaution, he took his blanket roll and wrapped the two blankets about his body, especially protecting his neck and ears. He found that the walking, besides keeping him warmer, took all the stiffness out of his muscles, and he continued on foot several miles. He passed two brooks and a creek, all frozen over solidly that the horse passed over them without breaking the ice. It was an extremely difficult task to make the animal try the ice but after much delicate coaxing and urging he always succeeded he saw two more cabins at the roadside but he didn't think of asking hospitality at either the night was now far advanced and he wished to put many more miles between him and the leffingwell home before he sought rest again he mounted his horse once more and increased his speed now the reaction came after so much exertion and excitement He began to feel depressed. He was very young, and he had no comrade. The loneliness of the winter night in a country full of dangers was appalling. It seemed to him, as his heart sank, that all things had conspired against him. But the moment of despair was brief. He summoned his courage anew, and rode on bravely, although the sense of loneliness in its full power remained. The moonlight was quite bright. The sky was a deep silky blue in which myriads of cold stars shone and danced by and by he skirted for a while the banks of a small river which he knew flowed southward into the cumberland and which would not cross his path the rays of the moonlight on its frozen surface looked like darts of cold steel he left the river presently and the road bent a little toward the north then the skies darkened somewhat but lightened again as the dawn began to come the red but cold edge of the sun appeared above the mountains that he had left behind and then the morning came pale and cold dick stopped at a little brook broke the ice and drank letting his horse drink after him and then he ate heartily of the cold bread and meat in his knapsack pitying his horse he searched until he found a little grass not yet killed by the winter in the lee of the hill, and waited till he cropped it all. He mounted and resumed his journey through a country in which the hills were steadily becoming lower, with larger stretches of level land appearing between them. By night he should be beyond the last low swell of the mountains and into the hill region proper. As he calculated distances, his heart gave a great thump. He was to locate Buell some distance north. Of Green River and his journey would take him close to Pendleton the boy was torn by great and conflicting emotions he would carry out with his life the task that Thomas had assigned to him and yet he wished to stop near Pendleton if only for an hour yes an hour would do and it could not interfere with his duty but Pendleton was a southern stronghold everybody there knew him and they all knew too that he was in the service of the North how could he pass by without being seen and what might happen then the terrible conflict went on in his mind and it was stilled only when he decided to leave it to time and chance he rode that day almost without interruption securing an ample dinner where no one chose to ask questions excepting him at his own statement of himself and probably believing it he heard that a small southern force was to the southward probably marching toward bowling green where a great confederate army under albert sidney johnston was said to be concentrated but the news gave him no alarm his own road was still leading west slightly by north when night came he was in the pleasant and fertile hill country dotted with double brick houses and others of wood all with wide porticoes supported by white pillars it looked smiling and prosperous even in winter The war had done no ravages here, and he saw men at work about the great barns. He slept in the house of a big farmer, who liked the frank voice and eyes of the lad, and who cared nothing for any errand upon which he might be riding. He slept too without dreams, and without awakening, until the morning, when he shared a solid breakfast with the family. Dick obtained at the farmhouse a fresh supply of cold food for his saddle-bags to be held against an emergency although it was likely now that he could obtain all that he needed at houses as he passed receiving the good wishes of his hosts he rode on through the hills the intense cold which kept troops from marching much really served him as the detachments about the little towns stayed in their camps the day was quite clear with the mercury still well below zero But his heavy clothing kept him warm and comfortable his great horse showed no signs of weariness Apparently his sinews were made of steel Noon came but dick did not seek any farmhouse for what was called dinner in that region Instead he ate from his saddlebags as he rode on he did not wish to waste time and moreover He had taken his resolution he would go near Pendleton It was on his most direct route, but he would pass it in the night as the cold twilight descended he came into familiar regions like all other young kentuckians he was a great horseman and with harry kenton and other lads of his age he had ridden nearly everywhere in a circuit of thirty miles around pendleton it was with many a throb of the heart that he now recognized familiar scenes he knew the fields the forests and the houses but he was glad that the night had come others would know him And he did not wish to be seen when he rode on such an errand he had been saving his horse in the afternoon but now he pushed him forward at a much faster gait. the great horse responded willingly and dick felt the powerful body working beneath him smooth and tireless like a perfect machine he passed nobody on the road people hugged their fires on such a cold night and he rode hour after hour without interruption it was nearly midnight When he stopped on a high hill free of forest and looked down upon pendleton the wonderful clearness of the winter night helped him all the stars known to man were out and helped to illuminate the world with a clear but cold radiance although a long distance away dick could see pendleton clearly there was no foliage on the trees now and nearly every house was visible the great pulse in his throat throbbed hard as he looked He saw the steeples of the churches, the white pillars of the courthouse, and off to one side the academy in which he and Harry Kenton had gone to school together. He saw further away Colonel Kenton's own house on another hill. It, too, had porticoes, supported by white pillars which gleamed in the moonlight. Then his eyes travelled again around the half-circle before him. The place for which he was looking could not be seen but he knew that it would be so it was a low house and the evergreens about it the pines and cedars would hide it at any time but he knew the exact spot and he wanted his eyes to linger there a little before he rode straight for it now the great pulse in his throat leaped and something like a sob came from him but it was not a sob of unhappiness he clucked to his horse and turned from the main road into a narrower one that led by the low house among the evergreens and yet he was a boy of powerful will and despite his eagerness he restrained his horse and advanced very slowly sometimes he turned the animal upon the dead turf by the side of the road in order that his footsteps might make no sound he drew slowly nearer and when he saw the roof and eaves of the low house among the evergreens The great pulse in his throat leaped so hard that it was almost unbearable. He reached the edge of the lawn that came down to the road, and hidden by the clipped cone of a pine he saw a faint light shining. He dismounted, opened the gate softly, and led his horse upon the lawn, hitching him between two pines that grew close together, concealing him perfectly. "'Be quiet, old fellow,' he whispered, stroking the great intelligent head nobody will find you here and i'll come back for you the horse rubbed his nose against his arm but made no other movement and then dick walked softly toward the house pulses beating hard and paused just at the edge of a portico where he stood in the shadow of a pillar he saw the light clearly now it shone from a window of the low second story it came from her window and her room doubtless she was thinking at that very moment of him his throat ached and tears came into his eyes the light clear and red shone steadily from the window and made a band across the lawn he picked a handful of sand from the walk that led to the front door and threw it against the window he knew that she was brave and would respond but waiting only a moment or two he threw a second handful fully and fairly against the glass the lower half of the window was thrown open and a head appeared where the moonlight fell clearly upon it it was the head of a beautiful woman framed in thick silken yellow hair the eyes deep blue and the skin of the wonderful fairness so often found in that state the face was that of a woman about thirty-seven or eight years of age and without a wrinkle or flaw mother called dick in a low voice as he stepped from the shadow of the pillar there was a cry and the face disappeared like a flash from the window but he had only a few moments to wait her swift feet brought her from the room down the stairway and along the hall to the door which she threw open the next instant mrs mason had her son in her arms oh dick dicky boy how did you come she exclaimed you were here under my window and i didn't even know that you were alive her tears of joy fell upon his face and he was moved profoundly. Dick loved his beautiful young mother devoutly, and her widowhood had bound them all the more closely together. "'I've come a long distance, and I've come in many ways, mother,' he replied, "'by train, by horseback, and I have even walked. "'You've come here on foot?' "'No, mother. I rode directly over your own smooth lawn, "'on one of the biggest horses you ever saw, "'and he's tied now between two of the pine trees. "'Come, we must go into the house. "'It's too cold for you out here.' Do you know that the mercury is about ten degrees below zero what a man you have grown why you must be two inches taller than you were when you went away and how sunburned and weather-beaten you are too oh dicky this terrible terrible war not a word from you in months has got through to me nor a word from you to me mother but i have not suffered so much so far i was at bull run where we lost and i was at mill spring where we won but i was unhurt perhaps you've come back to stay she said hopefully no mother not to stay i took a chance in coming by here to see you but i couldn't go on without a few minutes inside now mother your hands are growing cold they went in at the door and closed it behind them but there was another faithful so on guard that night in the dusky hall loomed a gigantic black figure in a blue checked dress blue turban on head mars dick she said juliana he exclaimed how did you know that i was here ain't i done heard miss em'ly cry out me always sleepin so light and i hears her run down the hall and then i dresses and comes and sees you two through the crack of the door and then i waits till you come in dick gave her a most affectionate greeting knowing that she was as true as steel she rejoiced in her flowery name as many other colored women rejoiced in theirs but her heart inhabited exactly the right spot in her huge anatomy. She drew mother and son into the sitting-room, where a low coal still burned on the hearth. Then she went up to Mrs. Mason's bedroom and put out the light, after which she came back to the sitting-room, and standing by a window in silence, watched over the two over whom she had watched so long. "'Why is it that you can stay such a little while?' asked Mrs. Mason. Mother replied Dick in a low tone general thomas who won the battle at mill spring has trusted me i bear a dispatch of great importance it is to go to general buell and it has to do with the gathering of the union troops in the western and southern parts of our state and in tennessee i must get through with it and in war mother time counts almost as much as battles i can stop only a few minutes even for you i suppose it is so but oh dicky won't this terrible war be over soon i don't think so mother it's scarcely begun yet mrs mason said nothing but stared into the coals the great negress juliana standing at the window did not move i suppose you're right dick she said at last with a sigh but it's awful that our people should be arrayed so against one another there's your cousin harry kenton a good boy too on the other side yes mother i caught a glimpse of him at bull run we came almost face to face in the smoke but it was only for an instant and then the smoke rushed in between i don't think anything serious has happened to him mrs mason shuddered i should mourn him next to you she said and my brother-in-law colonel kenton has been very good he left orders with his people to watch over us here pendleton is strongly southern as you know but nobody would do us any harm unless it was the rough people from the hills colonel kenton's wife had been mrs mason's elder sister and dick as he also sat staring into the coals wondered why people who were united so closely should yet be divided so much mother he said when i came through the mountains with my friends we stopped at a house in which lived an old old woman she must have been nearly a hundred she knew your ancestor and mine the famous and learned Paul Cutter, from whom you and I are descended, and she also knew his friend and comrade, the mighty scout and hunter, Henry Ware, who became the great governor of Kentucky. How strange! But the strangest is yet to be told. Harry Kenton, when he went east to join Beauregard before Bull Run, stopped at the same house, and when she first saw him she only looked into the far past. She thought it was Henry Ware himself. "'and she saluted him as the governor. "'What do you think of that, mother? "'It's a startling coincidence. "'But may it not be an omen? "'I'm not superstitious, mother, "'but when things come together in such a queer fashion, "'it's bound to make you think. "'When Harry's paths and mine cross in such a manner, "'maybe it means that we should all come back together again "'and be united as we were. "'Maybe,' at any rate said Dick with a little laugh, "'we'll hope that it does.' While the boy was not noticing, his mother had made a sign to Juliana, who had crept out of the room, and now she returned, bearing food upon a tray, and Dick, although he was not hungry, ate to please his mother. You will stay until morning, she said. No, mother, I can't afford to be seen here. I must leave in the dark. Then until it's nearly morning. Not that either, mother. My time is about up already. I could never betray the trust that General Thomas has put in me. My dispatches not only tell of the gathering of our troops, but they contain invaluable information concerning the Confederate concentration which General Thomas learned from his scouts and spies. Mother, I think a great battle is coming here, in the West. She shuddered, but she did not seek again to delay him in his duty. I am proud, she said, that you have won the confidence of your general, and that you ride upon such an important errand i should have been glad if you had stayed at home dick but since you have chosen to be a soldier i am rejoiced that you have risen in the esteem of your officers write to me as often as you can maybe none of your letters will reach me but at least start them i shall start mine too of course mother said dick and now it's time for me to ride hard why you've only been here a half hour nearer an hour mother and on this journey of mine time means a lot i must say good-bye now to you and juliana the two women followed him down the lawn to the point where his horse was hitched between the two big pines mrs mason patted the horse's great head and murmured to him to carry her son well did you ever see a finer horse mother said dick proudly he's the very pick of the army he threw his arms round her neck kissed her more than once sprang into the saddle and rode away in the darkness the two women the black and the white sisters in grief and yet happy that he had come went slowly back into the house to wait while the boy a man's soul in him strode on to war dick was far from pendleton when the dawn broke and now he had full need of caution his horse was bearing him fast into debatable ground where every man suspected his neighbor and it remained for force alone to tell to which side the region belonged but the extreme delicacy of the tension came to dick's aid people hesitated to ask questions lest questions equally difficult be asked of them in return it was a great time to mind one's own business he rode on fortune with him for the present and his course was still west slightly by north he slept under roofs and he learned that in the country into which he has now come, the Union sympathizers were more numerous than the Confederate. The majority of the Kentuckians, whatever their personal feelings, were not willing to shatter the Republic. He heard definitely that here in the West the North was gathering armies greater than any that he had supposed. Besides the troops from the three states just across the Ohio River, the hardy lumbermen, and pioneers were pouring down from michigan wisconsin and minnesota hunters in deerskin suits and buffalo moccasins had already come from the far nebraska territory the power of the west and the northwest was converging upon his state which gave eighty thousand of its men to the northern cause while half as many more went away to the southern armies particularly to the one under the brilliant and daring albert sidney johnston which hung a sinister menace before the northern front one hundred and twenty thousand troops sent to the two armies by a state that contained but little more than a million people it was said at the time that as kentucky went so would go the fortunes of the union and in the end it was so but these facts and reckonings were not much in dick's mind just then he was thinking of Buell's camp and of the message that he bore Again and again he felt of that little inside pocket of his vest, to see that it was there, although he knew that by no chance could he have lost it. When he was within fifteen miles of Buell's camp, a heavy snow began to fall, but he did not mind it. The powerful horse that had borne him so well carried him safely on to his destination, and before the sundown of that day, the young messenger was standing before General Don Carlos Buell, one of the most puzzling characters whom he was to meet in the whole course of the war he had found thomas a silent man but he found buell even more so he received dick in an ordinary tent thanked him as he saluted and handed him the dispatch and then read general thomas's message dick saw before him a shortish thick-set man grim of feature who did not ask him a word until he had finished the dispatch you know what this contains he said when he came to the end yes general thomas made me memorize it that i might destroy it if i were too hard pressed he tells us that johnston is preparing for some great blow and he gives the numbers and present location of the hostile forces valuable information for us if it is used you have done well mr mason to what force were you attached A small division of Pennsylvania troops under Major Hertford they were to be sent by General Thomas to General Grant at Cairo, Illinois. And you would like to join them? If you please, sir. In view of your services your wish is granted. It is likely that General Grant will need all the men whom he can get. A detachment leaves here early in the morning for Elizabethtown, where it takes the train for Louisville, proceeding thence by water to Cairo. "'You shall go with these men. They are commanded by Colonel Winchester. You may go now, Mr. Mason.' He turned back to his papers, and Dick, thinking his manner somewhat curt, left his tent. But he was pleased to hear that the detail was commanded by Colonel Winchester. Arthur Winchester was a man of forty-one or two, who lived about thirty miles north of Pendleton. He was a great landowner of high character and pleasant manners dick had met him frequently in his childhood and the colonel received him with much warmth i'm glad to know dick he said familiarly that you're going with us i'm fond of pendleton and i like to have one of the pendleton boys in my command if all that we hear of this man grant is true we'll see action action hot and continuous they rode to elizabethtown where dick was compelled to leave his great horse for buell's men and went by train to Louisville, going thence by steamer, down the Ohio River to Cairo, at its junction with the Mississippi, where they stood at last in the presence of that general whose name was beginning to be known in the West. End of chapter 8